What's up, folks? Welcome back to the Whoop Podcast. I'm your host, Will Amit, founder and CEO of Whoop, and we are on a mission to unlock human performance. Check us out at whoop.com. Learn about our wearable technology, improve your recovery, improve your sleep, improve your health, and you can get 15% off a Whoop membership if you use the code Will Ahmed, W-I-L-L-A-H-M-E-D. This week's guest, Olympic rower Tom George. That's right. The Olympics are right around the corner. And Tom is one of the best rowers in the world. He's one of the only men on earth to break the 540 mark in the 2000 meters erg. That's right. The 2K, as it's known in rowing circles, is a famous erg test. And fewer than a dozen people of history have done it in under five minutes and 40 seconds. Tom has just done this. He did it actually during lockdown while training for the Olympics in his parents' shed. So Tom sits down with our very own Mike Lombardi for this discussion. Mike has a long and decorated background in rowing and has coached Olympic rowers in the past. The two of them discuss Tom's mindset leading up to and during his record-breaking attempt, the mental and physical intensity of Olympic training, his thoughts on nutrition and why eating things that make you happy is just as important as eating things that are good for your body. That actually really resonated for me. How he manages his high strains, he regularly is getting over 20.0 strains, and how he overcomes red recoveries. Tom has a lot of good thoughts on strain and recovery. I know you'll be able to take something away from him. Without further ado, here are Tom and Mike. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Whoop Podcast. I'm Mike Lombardi. I'm here today with Tom George. Tom is a an Olympian for uh, Team GB. He is one of the fittest rowers to ever walk the earth. I know a, a big hype train there, but um, we'll get into that a little bit more. But uh, Tom's right now in Austria on a training camp, uh, getting ready for Tokyo. So, Tom, thanks so much for joining us this morning. Thanks for having me, Mike. Really looking forward to it. And this is probably one of the best GB boats in, in a little bit. I mean, obviously the, the eights are always competing for, for gold at the Olympics and world championships. And this year is, you know, challenging, right. Um, to, to even just go back to your highlights, you're one of eight people or is it nine now with, with Mo to break 540 on 2000 meters. So I think it's, I think it's actually 11. I got told oh, it's 11 now. I got told eight when I did it and then I got revised to 10th, I think. Um, and then Mo was 11. So yeah, that's the, it's the sort of group of guys. Um, obviously there's a few of us who are a bit younger, obviously Ziedler, the German scholar, for people that don't know, who's just kind of a cyborg, a different sort of breed of human. Um, and then, uh, Simon Van Dorp, who was at the university of Washington in the yep. Dutch team, he, he's done it recently. So there's a few of us who are a bit younger. Um, but, uh, I guess if you look through the list of people, it's like a pretty esteemed list of people to be a part of and to be sort of able to like. In, be in the same sentence with is pretty humbling. For those that don't really understand what an amazing feat of physiology this is, if you've ever done a 2000 meter test, um, I think for just an average man, I think someone would be excited to go under seven minutes if, you know, if they were just to hop on the earth. Uh, yeah. So to go under 540, Tom, what's, what is that? Uh, 125. Okay. So 125 for 2000 meters. <clears throat> just hop on if you have a chance, if you have a rowing machine, see if you could, how long you can hold 125 for, or even under 130. So uh, just understand that Tom basically did this in a barn by himself during quarantine. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. We were sort of <laughs> sent home. Actually, kind of a weird turn of events that led to it where uh, we got called in after our sort of Olympic final trials and uh, told that we'd be training from home for two weeks. So everyone's like, yeah, we, we can do two weeks, you know, and then we'll go to the Olympics. And obviously three days later, Tokyo, like, well, we're not hosting an Olympics this year. So um, it sort of spiraled into six months. Yeah, and just uh, moved back to my parents' house and was training in the sort of shed at the bottom of the driveway by myself. It was pretty cool. I, like, it was kind of raw and, and weird. Obviously, there's like a lawnmower next to me, which maybe took away from the sort of elite athlete vibe of it. But uh, you make, made of it what you can. And it was really cool to be able to uh, use that time to like answer a lot of questions, I guess, for myself and uh, also like prove that I was in like a position to to push on into the, the sort of rescheduled Olympics. Yeah. I mean, I think when that came out, it was definitely probably a highlight for the, definitely the rowing world uh, with basically nothing going on. So for something yeah. so cool to happen in isolation is amazing. You've broken 540 
And obviously you knew that that 2K test was coming on the calendar. You know, when you see this approaching and you know, it's, you know, kind of probably a culmination of a cycle or, you know, a, a pinnacle of this at home training. Uh, what are you kind of thinking? How do, how do you approach it leading up to it? And then once you're in it, it's okay. I think I can do it. What are you looking at on the screen? Are you looking at the projected finish? Uh, what, what are you looking at? Um, so I guess the first thing is that I kind of guess it was probably just born throughout the first couple of months of, of lockdown where like I, I think the year before I'd probably gone like 541 uh, maybe 540.8 or something. I've been pretty like close enough that it was like, oh, this is something I consider. I think it was probably just over 541 and I've been like, okay, it's quite a big jump still. It doesn't sound like a big jump, but in rowing terms, that's quite a big jump, especially at, like that end of the of the sort of speed chart. And um, I guess it was actually, we did a 2K the day before as well, um, which kind of makes the story sound crazy, but it, it there is a sort of, um, it does make sense with a bit of context, which is that the 2K the day before was, Jürgen was like, treat it like a heat, so hard as you can to the K. And then just relax, chill out, glide at home, you know. So in that regard, I kind of was like, well, I'll um, go at pace to the K. I'll go at 540 pace to the K or the 1250. It might have been to the 1250. And then I'll decide how I feel. And, uh, but I'll obviously back it off because I've got to do this other one tomorrow and it'll be absolutely horrible if I try and do it today and fail and then I've got to do it tomorrow. And um, um, in the week leading up to it, obviously the sessions get shorter and more intense. So we're doing like a couple of like 500s or a 1500 and a 500 with like 90 seconds rest or whatever. And one of the things I did start doing was I started shortening all the rests by a lot, like a, to, do, to like 30 seconds, you know, on everything I did. I was like, okay, it's 12.50 and 7.50 or like, 1250 and a 1k i'm going to do 30 seconds of rest this is going to absolutely suck and it's going to be horrible but i feel like it's important to familiarize yourself with that pain and, and kind of like a you know you sort of seek comfort in that as well you know where your edge is and you know how it should feel so then leading into it basically that whole week in all the sort of shorter pieces and the week before being like okay everything any short piece that's on pace that's on 125 that's how it's going to have to be if this is something that we're going to do um and sometimes even a little bit faster if it was like a few 500s it was like right i'm going to try and go like 124s and just see just if i blow myself to shreds that's absolutely fine because it's important to like know if i can i have the capacity to do that um yeah so then obviously did the one on the on the friday uh and i think i went 546 or 47 um just by going to the 1250 at pace at 125 and then, and then um, just like dropping it to like rate 28 and just massive. I just remember doing like really long strokes and I got off it and I was like, you know what? Like it could be on tomorrow. And like, I'm not going to tell anyone that I'm not going to vocalize that to anyone. That's just an opinion that I've come up with that I'm never going to put out in the ether because I don't really want any, it to be like, there's pressure on me or people like expecting it. Yeah. So I guess on that day it was like, right just do the exact same 1250 you did yesterday. And if you do that, you're at 750 meters to really have it. Like you'll either feel amazing or you'll feel terrible. But if you don't do that first 1250, you're not going to be able to do the last 750. It doesn't matter what you can do in the, in the last 750 because everyone always says you can like sprint it in really well on the earth, but it's not true. Like when you're, some guys can, but you're never going to go, top end top speed top top end like speeds on the erg if you're going one if you're trying to come in at 180 in the last 500 like yeah. you can take a lot of time off but you've sacrificed so much in the first 1500 to do that that it's just like you're wasting your time so, to some extent and so yeah just remember going out on that pace got to 500 check that box felt pretty good i wasn't looking at the projected time i was trying not to look at the projected time but i did have it there and it was on 540 and I was like, good. And then it was like, get to the K, pretty happy with it. I think I was at 140.2 average coming through the K. And I was like, okay, that's fine. But this next 500 is going to be just something that like, this is kind of make or break 500 because I'm teetering here. Like I'm, I'm a, you know, I've come off at a touch, but not so much that I need to panic. So then it's like, do the next 250 and see where we're at. And I got through the next 250 and I was still at 140.2 and I was like, bang, here we go just like fill with adrenaline 
and I, I just feel like with 750k, it was like filled with adrenaline. It was like, okay, stay calm, stay calm. Like, don't go too hard now because you can still ruin this in this period. And I got to 500 to go. And and like I kind of described this like this to some people and, and, and it sounds ridiculous, but it was like, you're so calm. And it was almost like time sort of slowed down. You're like, okay, I'm going to do it here. This isn't really a question anymore. Like there's enough adrenaline in me. This isn't really hurting anymore. If I like look back on it, I don't think, about it being like a painful situation to be in i just remember being like okay i'm gonna break 540 how am i gonna like prepare for that what am i gonna do here like i still had to sprint i still had to do all these little bits but um you kind of like i think we sort of talked about on the team like when you have those moments and it doesn't matter what speed you're going if you're going to pb like i feel like if you do it right you regularly have that feeling in that last like 300 meters where you're like i've done it just have to like complete this piece. It's not hurting anymore. And we always talk about like the bit in Gladiator when he's walking through the fields of wheat, like dragging his hands. And it's like, you're sort of like close to like the Nirvana moment of just like ultimate sort of sporting peace almost in terms of like endurance sports. And uh, yeah, and then like finished. Don't really remember the last like 10 strokes of it that well because it was just like such a, I don't know, just like kind of a wave of like, wow, okay. And then it was just like, okay, so I'm still in my shed. Like I'm still here. I'm still like just this like bloke. And I've okay, I've done something kind of cool, but but it doesn't really mean anything in terms of like the ultimate goal of winning the Olympics, but it's an important stepping stone. And so I need to like take stock of that and enjoy this moment. And then that was probably reflected best in like uh, I went back up to my parents' house and I was like, oh yeah, I didn't really know what to say. So I was just like standing there, I was like, oh so just you know, like a this just happened in the shed. Um, I'm going to go have a shower. I just sort of like walked out. I was like, I don't really know how to deal with this sort of situation. Like it's cool, but like I kind of view it as like I did what I was meant to do because of the training I put in in the first place. But I did have to overcome that like mental hurdle to get there. You see that these barriers just kind of get in your mind. And I, I think, yeah, talking about that euphoric moment, anytime you, yeah, when you know it's there, um, yeah. I think that will definitely most, you know, Hopefully, endurance athletes have felt that at at least one point in their yeah. life. But, exactly. um, but yeah, sometimes to try and get that moment, you get it horribly wrong, and it's the worst thing in the world. Yep, <laughs> yeah. no question. Yeah, that's that's amazing. Um, yeah. That's really. I mean, I can't believe you go five forty seven, five forty eight on a casual back seven fifty. So that that's good. Uh, that's good fitness. So just kind of going back, you know, rowing is such a accumulation of fitness over time. Yeah. And when, when you showed up at Princeton, what was your 2K then? Uh, so I was recruited going 604. Or no, okay. I was recruited going 608 when in my junior year and then, uh, or the end of my junior year. And then my senior year, sort of that summer, just before I arrived, I went 604. So that was my time then. Yeah. And then freshman year, I went 557. Freshman year. And then senior year, you went 548. Is that correct? 545. 545. I went 44.9. I mean, it might be one of those ones where it finishes 44.9 and then you go into the recall. And, it's and it says 50, yeah, 45. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, it's so crazy to see just that to drop basically 24 seconds over what's it been more, almost a decade. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Uh, <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. It's, it's, that's how intense it is at the top of rowing just for people to kind of understand the difference between going six minutes and 558 and then 555 and then to put in perspective breaking 540 uh is pretty insane so um you know so you you did you do junior team for gb correct yeah to 2012 yeah would you say that what makes great britain so successful at rowing is is the sort of accountability and kind of transparency of where you stand in, uh, in the yeah. process hundred percent. I think that that's a really important part of it and a really important part of the environment that Jürgen created before. And that obviously now that he's moved on, we've managed, we're like keen to hold on to, and that that's something that we want to keep. Um, uh, it's like a sort of the lifeblood of the like ethos and culture of the team. And there've definitely been some changes like with COVID and stuff, people have been able to train from home a bit more so that there's not so many people, obviously you've got to like socially distance all the ergos and things like that. Yeah, that having that sort of ability to you just fill in a spreadsheet and that score is there and, and the coaches will look at it and everyone knows where everyone else stands. I think that that's really important because uh, ultimately, like you've got to do to win the Olympic Games, you've got to be able to do some pretty incredible things with your teammates. But 
you also need to be able to rely on your teammates to do those things with you. And so you want to know that they've been through exactly what you've been through to get to that point. Yeah, for sure. It's, I mean, as simple as spreadsheets are as simple as they come, but exactly. um, yeah. if ever, if everybody's bought in, yeah. um, then it, then it's incredibly effective. I feel like you've always been a pretty strong guy. Um, yeah. you know, as, as far as, uh, even if you look at like collegiate roars, I remember Glenn O'Hal went to, I think when you went 545 and he's like, I've never seen a guy like Tom George in college before. Um, so has strength training always been part of your program and how is it, uh, kind of still factored into sort of, uh, obviously don't give me any secrets. I know that the, the GB yeah, training yeah, yeah. methodology is, is, yeah. uh, is held pretty tight. Um, but you know, how is, how is the strength training built in? Because I think in the rowing community, it's maybe it's kind of getting a little traction. Definitely in the U S it's, it's still behind. Yeah. Um, in terms of understanding the the physiological benefit of not just getting stronger, but um, strengthening those sort of weak points where, um, yeah. you know, we're compensating. So exactly. Um, yeah. So well, strength training is just like a part of the program. It's just like included within the program. And we have, um, uh, we lift during the winter, especially we lift four times a week every week and that's for like two hours at a time and we have strength and conditioning coaches who will uh, help us with like loadings and uh, what to put on the bar like for me i feel like uh i'd say that it's like a supplementary aspect of my training that i find really important and it was it's like massive for injury prevention and for making sure that i'm at the sharp end of it and um it's important to be able to like push out there's like a gold medal standard that they say the coaches will the lifting coaches will put out for for you and be like this is what you need to get to and to like strive for that that number is obviously like very important but i'd say that it's something that like obviously as you just said in the us it's quite far behind like at princeton we never really lifted we did a little bit here and there um yeah yeah probably in the winter doing sessions a week just to like mix it in and try and um uh, adapt the program in that way but you're kind of especially with collegiate athletes to put lifting sessions in you're kind of having to steal water time or erg time you know and, and that's not necessarily something that you can do whilst once you are into like a national team and it's your full-time occupation, it's a lot easier to commit time to do that without having to lose loads of hours of training. And so I think it's really important, particularly on the injury prevention front, um, making sure that you're robust, obviously like ultimately on a heavy week of training, you're going to do 270, 280 Ks on the water. And so to be able to add in, like have those strength training, that strength training there is only going to be positive to how your body can handle that training. Um, I'd say that obviously as you get closer and closer to a big competition, that becomes less important uh, in terms of like, actually like I'm trying to do a max squat right now, but you need to keep that robustness level up. So you're then doing like higher reps, lower weight. Um, and I think that it's something that was kind of eye opening to me when I first came back from the States and came back from Princeton because I wasn't necessarily ready for it. And it absolutely floored me. I, just, I remember being so knackered after <laughs> the sessions, you're just like there and you, you look at it and you're like, how can this be so tiring? Like I'm not doing hours of like aerobic. My heart rate isn't raised for ages, but you're absolutely cooked to the end of it. So, um, for sure. I think it's important and something that we, um, obviously use within our program as, as like a vital part of it. And it's just like another session, you know, weights, it's just a session. And so it's something that we have to roll into, uh, three or four times a week to make sure that we are in the best position to move the boat fast. So in terms of overall sessions, you talked about the 275, 200, you know, 90 ish K per week, how many sessions, uh, training sessions on, on average, are you kind of hitting during, during a normal week? And then obviously your training camps probably a bit more, but yeah. Uh, um, somewhere in the, in the UK in the winter when it's like at its heaviest point, it's probably three a day every day and then two on Saturday and one on Sunday. So that's the, so that's two, two basically endurance or capacity sessions. And then there, there will be yes. another strength session. Yeah. 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 Okay. Pretty wild. Where do you, yeah. So um, you've been on Whoop for a little while now. How have yeah. you kind of managed to one? What have you seen in your recovery? Um, yeah, because that's you know like that's a that's a pretty high volume training plan in conjunction yeah. with with training. Obviously, as you said, I get paid to do this. It's a full time job. Yeah. Um, but you know, how are you managing uh, between sessions? Um, so we can kind of break down into this. So we can start with sleep. You know, like yeah. what's kind of the bedtime wake group, you know, yeah. regimen for you to, to get this going. I've definitely got better at it as a result of whoop. And I think that 
um, I guess the first thing to say, my strain is regularly above 20, right? Like I'll go like weeks with it, just like above 20. And then like Sunday will be a bit lower because we only have one session or it's off. And then it'll be like, again. And so I guess for me, I've sometimes found that the, the recovery is hard to like work out, you know, I'm like, Oh, I don't really know what's like working for me. And, like, and ultimately it's like hours of sleep of, is like the most important factor. Right. And so, um, I've worked out that I need to just try and get more sleep. I'm, I'm used to get be like 10 30 to 6 30. Then like, um, actually during lockdown, one of the big things I started doing a lot was like, um, like headspace that. And so now it's like, I get up at six so that I can fit that in first thing in the morning. So then it was like 10 30 to six. And I was like, well, that's just not enough sleep. So then it was like 10 till six. And, um, now I'm like, okay, I'm on training camp. Uh, there's not much going on in the evening. Like I'll happily go to bed. Like we'll be in bed, like reading a book at like nine thirty, nine forty-five, um, to try and like get that sleep in. But I, I, the other thing I just never really understood was or realized was that you spend quite a lot of time awake in the night. Yeah. And so then I was like looking at it, and I was like, damn, I was in bed for like nine hours last night, and it's saying I've got like seven hours, thirty minutes sleep. What's going on? What am I doing? Um, and obviously, I guess there's just a lot of external factors in like the, the way in which that your training is each day. And the differences in that can just like lead to like better sleep or worse sleep. I'd say that I get to like Saturday a lot and I'm like, okay, I'm going to bang in like 10 hours of sleep, which is probably not the best way to do it. But it's like, I kind of have, that's just the way it is. I have to like do that. It's saying that my sleep need is like phenomenally high. So I'm like, okay, here we go. Strap ourselves in. We're not getting up till, you know, long into the morning tomorrow. So. Right. I mean, look, it's, it's what it is with, with such a high volume of training and, and that yeah. demand on your body. Yeah. Um, I assume they're all two plus hour ish sessions, probably, right? Maybe yeah. even longer with warm up and putting equipment exactly. away and mobility. So, um, yeah. what would you say you're doing about eight hours a day? Of, yeah, probably about eight hours a day. Yeah. So, what are the things that you're kind of doing throughout the day to make sure you can kind of make it to the next session? Are you napping at all? Yeah. It feels like maybe there's not a ton yeah. of time, but in terms of like nutrition, yeah. nutrition between workouts and then also like, intro workout like what are you kind of doing to kind of keep fueling because that's so much time yeah definitely um during workouts like i kind of hate them but they're a necessary evil it's like gels you know so um that's something that you just got to have like whether it's like a isotonic gel or like an electrolyte gel I try not to like consume too much on the water because it just kind of sits quite heavily if you just start like banging in quite dense bars so it's always kind of be into workout try and get like good food and we have a chef at the training center and then when we're on training camp it's pretty easy like basically every day is just fully structured to be like wake up and have food train have food train have food train uh, like afternoon like chill out have food again train again late and then have food so it's like it's pretty well set up to just be like the perfect situation and in, in that gap especially when i'm training camp i like nap a lot or try to um just even if it's just like half an hour like i normally find that i'll just like read my book that's like the best way to just be like okay I could probably nap for like 25 minutes half an hour even if it's just that i find that yeah you feel absolutely terrible <laughs> when you wake up from it but it's uh something that's like you actually feel way better when it comes to time to be on the erg or on the erg or on the water for the like final session of the day um i'd say that yeah i try to um yeah keep in basically in water bottles you'll always have like electrolytes or something like that for on the water because obviously you're going to lose a lot through sweat and um you can always like pack in the food between sessions and the nutrition between sessions but if you like get dehydrated that's like a hard game to catch up on um and it's never like a good way to do it like we call it cameling here in in the team i don't really know if that's a thing but like where you basically like oh i'm i'm, I'm pretty dehydrated i'm just gonna chug like a liter and a half of water and then hopefully it'll just like filter in but then you know that that's just not a good way to like hydrate your system. And so um, try to avoid doing that, which means that I'm quite on top of that throughout sessions to like maintain uh, like electrolytes between. Um, yeah, I think that the nutrition aspect of it, the team sorts for us pretty well. And then in the evening, when we're in the UK, the evening, just go home and like cook for yourself and um, try to keep it pretty healthy. Like I'm, I was listening to a different po another podcast recently, um, this football on it, Hector Bellerin, and he was... Um, talking about how like if you get injured it's never really because you can never really put it down to being like oh i just stepped in the wrong place at the wrong time i got injured it's probably like to do with like oh you're not taking care of the other business around your sport like your nutrition your sleep so trying to stay on top of that in the evenings when you don't really have like the team nutritionist and team chef like prescribing food to you is pretty important so do you think i, I mean I, I completely agree with that statement um that 
barring some sort of, you know, crazy injury, um, yeah. like a full contact, like in a rugby or football or something. Yeah. Um, you know, a lot of things are probably neglect either of taking yeah. care of an agging issue and just being like, it's going to get okay. Um, yeah. neglecting the sleep, neglecting the nutrition, you know, not listening to your body. So that's really interesting. I mean, for the nutrition part, you know, it sounds like you guys have a pretty good structure at camp. Um, do they kind of give you guidance? You said you eat pretty healthy. Um, yeah. inter- I don't know how deep you go into this stuff. Like, it's just like, yeah. I eat healthy and I eat what I need to eat. Are you thinking about, um, like it's sort of like an ideal macronutrient profile? to, to fit kind of need, or just kind of like, let me eat enough to, to do this. It's kind of like a balance of the two, really. Like you'll sit down with the nutritionist um, and you can sit down with, with her whenever you want to, but um, uh, it's kind of like everyone sits down with her at the start of each year. And then like at key points throughout the year, you know, like, Oh, we're going into winter training. Oh, we're going into racing season. And those are like the key sort of fundamental points. Um, there's kind of a balance of it because you want to obviously eat healthy, but you don't want to eat stuff you don't enjoy or like because then you're not going to be happy and then your training will be impacted by that. And so it's kind of the balance of I've got to eat really well, but I also like can afford myself because I'm burning X thousand calories a day. Couldn't actually, I can't actually tell you a number on that fully. I can look on my whoop app in a sec and see. Um, but uh, you're going through it and, and, if you're burning that many thousand calories, you can like afford yourself, you know, like if you want to eat ice cream or something, I don't know, that's a bad example maybe, but like have a healthy meal and then you can treat yourself afterwards. Those calories from treating yourself afterwards aren't going to make a difference to your overall performance provided that it's not like every day I'm eating like fries and a burger. Then you can afford yourself like little cheats here and there that will either like make your life more enjoyable essentially or make you sort of enjoy that meal more combined with the fact that yeah, it's just like calories in is calories out to some extent when you're doing this much training and you're like this hard, like pushing it. Yeah, no, I think the volume definitely plays a part in it. Um, but you also see that I, I can just, you know, speak from watching rowing for so much for so long and being in different, uh, you know, training environments of multiple sports that, you know, some people follow that. And then the people that are a little more in tune with the nutrition, um, yeah. one, they last longer uh, in terms of, um, they're resilient, their performance is usually higher. So it seems like you're pretty in tune with sports science and performance. Uh, yeah. when did, when did you really start taking an interest in this and, and kind of like, when did you realize like, this is a path I'm going to go down? Like I'm very good at rowing yeah. and I think I can ride this probably later than it should have been ultimately, you know, like if I look at it, um, through college, I was probably just quite like a, typical college student to some extent like college student athlete like I wanted to go well rowing wise but I wanted to do well in school and I wanted to be able to have fun and I wanted you know and I kind of wanted to juggle every every ball have all those plates spinning in the air and that was kind of interesting because I think that's important because you don't want to like you're not a professional athlete yet and you don't want to set yourself up to be one because um firstly you might not enjoy it secondly you could take that enjoyment out from later when you've got so many things going on it's important to have like a balance especially when you're young and then also it's like obviously hard if you want to go down that pathway other people might not want to who you might be in a boat with or whatever like there's a lot of different factors and everyone at college is trying to like enjoy life a bit so I'd say it probably was like wasn't I didn't eat badly at college and I wasn't like not in tune with it necessarily like we used first beat technologies a lot at Princeton which was meant that we were always tracking heart rate data and we were always like looking at that stuff and that was fed into it. You know, like you could see, you could do recovery tests when you got up in the morning and you could see how recovered you were so that you could then factor that in. Um, But I think when you're a college student, it's important that when your recovery score comes back low, you're not just like, Oh, the day's done. Like I can't train today because yeah, man, you were in the library till midnight last night because you have to get this paper done, you know, or whatever, or you wanted to go have a few beers with your mates. And I think that that ultimately that's like pretty cool and totally fine. So, um, but then I'd say when I came back to the UK, maybe that like carried over a little bit, not fully, but I just think that it took a bit of time for me to be like, okay, I'm actually like a full on professional athlete now. This is what I've wanted basically my whole life. Like from being a kid, it was like, oh, name a vocation, professional athlete. Like, I don't know what sport, like I played rugby at school, at high school as well as road and was like, I never good enough to like make it as a rugby player, but like I really enjoyed it. And that was something that was great fun, but being able to like step into being a professional athlete was something that 
I didn't necessarily take for granted, but I'd been through the like pathway. So it was like, oh, this is just like the logical next step. Um, and I think that it probably took me a bit of time to be like, okay, like you don't have to, for now anyway, like the Olympics is coming up. Like I don't have to be like trying to go out with mates and having beers or going and doing this or that. It's, it's okay to just be like, no, I'm just going to work hard quietly in the corner and, and do my thing. Yeah. And I think that for me, like a hallmark of training is always just being like, do the training, just do the training. Like every day, just turn up and do the training. Like whether it's at Prince, whatever level you're at, because it's not always going to be stellar. It's not always going to be like, like gold medal standard, but just doing the training sets that like mental and uh, like physical account to like hold yourself to, which means that then uh, once you get to a, the sort of sharper end of the season, you can continue to like thrive within the sort of, the, that sort of benchmark that you've set for yourself. So yeah, like always just think that tune into doing the training and then, I think once I left Princeton, it was time to be like, okay, I'm tuning in to doing the training, but I want to do the training well. I want to be the best that I can be. And that involves how much sleep I'm getting, like nutrition I'm eating. Am I drinking enough water each day? Something you take for granted. Like, am I, you know, in the evening, am I having like, because obviously you're at Princeton, you've got those like soda fountains and everything all the time. Like, am I having soda in the for evening? Sure. It's nice. Yeah. You know? That's kind of like wasted calories that I don't need to have that, okay, I've sort of contradicted myself because I've said that like it's important to have things that bring enjoyment to you, but it's like, is soda the thing I'd want to have? No, I'd rather like have ice cream, like I said earlier, or something like that and and just like have water and keep myself well hydrated in that regard. That I mean, makes all sense, plus the caffeine um, yeah. aspect of it as you're trying yeah. to wind down for bed. Two pieces here, I, I think, that jump out at me. I want to ask what you think about so. You know, you said, oh, in college, you get up, you wake up, you have better recovery. Yeah, because you had to do X, Y, Z, or, you know, you're just kind of living life. How do you kind of handle when you, one, do you get a lot of red recoveries because of such a high strain and training yeah. volume? And how do you kind of handle it uh, mentally? Um, yeah, I get a lot of reds, like a, a lot more than I thought. I think I actually at one point was like, I think there's something wrong with this. You know, I'm not sure what's going on. I'm like going to better. I'm trying to do this and that. Ultimately, you got to just block it out really like mentally you can't let it really especially when you're training every day you can't come in and be like i've got a red recovery therefore like i can't train to my maximum today or whatever ultimately the show goes on and if you're not willing to train hard someone else is and and you know they're getting a leg up on you and so you have to be it's like it informs me and it informs my training but it's not going to stop me from training and it's not going to stop me from um, putting in the best that I can. And like, you know, sometimes you'll come in and you're like, okay, I had like a 2% recovery. Um, okay. It's never been that low for me, but um, you have had like a low recovery. What does that mean? And it's like, okay, well, I've got a water session and I'm going to wait. And it's like the, the lift can, will take care of itself because I know that like I'll have prescribed weights and I just have to hit those. And then it's like, the erg, like I can, I know that I can just erg, like till the cows come home. I know that I can sit there and do that. So that's like somewhere where I can be like, okay, I'm going to tune into my music and I'm just going to like put out my split and my, you know, my prescribed split and I'm going to do that well. And that's like something that I've got a prescribed split and I can just hit that. I don't have to every day, like smash through that, you know? And then it's like, okay, I'm going on the water. Just make sure like I'm doing the basics that, that the like technical aspects of what I'm doing really well make sure that I'm not like not adding to the boat. And then beyond that, then you can start to like squeeze into it. Once you get your heart rate going, you start to feel pretty good. It's always okay to, you start to feel like even, okay, you might feel absolutely inaccurate between sessions, but once you get going into a session, it's pretty easy to like slip into the groove of it. Particularly, I think when you train as much as we do and are like kind of baseline as, as tired or as fatigued as we are, um, you learn to sort of become familiar with that. And ultimately you sort of seek comfort in that because if you're tired and fatigued, that's a positive because clearly the program's meant for you to be tired and fatigued at this point. And therefore, like it's important to use that to, to increase that adaptation. I think that's a really good way to put it. And, you know, I, I tend to talk about just because you have a red recovery doesn't mean that you, you can't go out and perform at a very high level. Exactly. Um, uh, you yeah, know, so those... I, I, I broke five, sorry, I interrupted yeah. you, but I broke no, please. five again in the, um, in it must be March time, and that morning my whoop said that I was like thirty one percent recovered. There we go. There and it I is, like right there. It really well because it was at a point where a lot of people were asking me about it, and they were like, "I want to get one. I want to get one." And I was like, "Yeah, yeah." You know, talk to the physiologist before because I don't want to be the guy that's like, you know, 
putting people onto this thing. And then it, you know, everyone being like, Oh, I'm red recovered. I can't do this training or that training. And so that, that's like my biggest telltale story for it basically is that like I went 539.2. So I like PB'd again, pushed it on. And um, a big part of that was like, for me, it was waking up and being like, okay, I'm not that recovered, but that's not really a hindrance. Like I know that I'm in good shape. My pieces coming into this on the earth have been really strong. So that means that I'm able to go and like, basically trust the process of just doing what I know I can do. I don't need this like ethereal performance. That's just like going to pluck it out of the air. I just have to do exactly what I can do for every stroke of that race. So yeah, I, I'd say that the recovery is score for me is like, it's an informant, but it's not like a deciding factor. Does it guide your day a little bit in terms of the non-training, you know, like obviously in the team environment, you got to do the training, you got to hit your splits. You got to be dependable and account, you know, yeah. for your team. Uh, uh, definitely. Are you are you like hydrating more? Are you trying to get more mobility in? Or like rolling? You know, are you trying to sneak in forty five minutes instead of thirty? That type of stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. On a day when I'm like red recovered, I'll probably try and nap at some point. And then on top of that, um, I'd probably yeah try and hydrate more, try and eat really well, make sure that I'm in a good position to be able to know that the next day, like I've done everything I can today to make sure that tomorrow I'm better recovered. Yeah, you're and, just basically tightening the screws, right? Yeah, More exactly. or less. sometimes that's hard because obviously like sometimes you come in red recovered and you're like looking at the program and you're like, I've got two long rows and a weight session today. That's going to put me well above 20 again. And then it's like, okay, then you need to, that's when it, it's sort of a balancing act. To it. But yeah, it's it's like, tight, yeah, as you said, tightening the screws is the perfect way to describe it. Just like taking off little things here and there to make sure that you can recover as much as possible. That's great. What have you found um, gives you sort of the best bounce back so um, it could be, you know, we, I've talked to a couple other elite athletes in, in different disciplines and yeah. some people say it's a sauna or, you know, I do sort of like contrast hot, cold and, and stuff like that. Is there anything that you found is just like, man, this is, this is lights out for me. Yeah. Uh, the hot, cold stuff's really good. I really like doing that. Um, but obviously that's hard because you don't really have the facilities. Like, I like to do that probably in the evening if possible. So when you're on training camp, if you're in the right sort of sports facility, that's possible. But otherwise that's like harder to do. Um, I've, worked, I've found out just from my whoop that my recovery scores are like, I think it's like 12% improved. Um, if I have acupuncture like therapy, basically if I've like seen the physio and we use like dry needling to like loosen off muscles, if we do that, then it's like greatly improved. And like I don't, I can't sort of pinpoint for you why that is ultimately, apart from the fact that like my muscles are looser, but like normally if I do that as well, that'll be during the day. It won't be necessarily in the evening just before I go to bed again, except if we're on training camp where I can kind of be like, go to the physio and be like, Hey, so this improves my recovery and we want to do it anyway, because we're doing maintenance on this back on my back or on my like glutes or whatever. Um, so can we just do it in the evening before I go to sleep? Because I know that it improves that and it might help even more, but like, even if I just do it in the day at some point, um, but that's obviously like something that like, I don't do it every day because it's not good to do it every day to, to the muscle. So I know that it's kind of one of those things that I can like almost like fall back on a little bit to like help improve those, uh, those recovery scores. Yeah, no acupuncture. I mean, it sounds like you've got a very good physio there. And obviously the, your understanding of you can't hit the same thing every single day and expect it to get better. Yeah, um, exactly. like that's, I think that's a good take home message for anybody. If you know your hamstrings or your adductors or your back are bothering you, you kind of got to either hit the chest one day and then, you know, kind of have routines like anything. Um, yeah. you know, I don't know your training program, but you, you probably don't go in and just back squat heavy every single day. Yeah. You know, like it's, there, there's a variation and, and, and a science to it. So, you know, you talked about the soda. I heard you're a coffee guy. Big coffee guy. Yeah. Big coffee guy. So are you waking up and hitting coffee or are you hitting it through the day? What's, what's, um, what's, and do you, do you make your own coffee? Like, do you, do you yeah. like, uh, like roast your own beans? This is an absolute vice because I've got some of this stuff here. Oh, small world. Nice. Yeah, it's kind of cool because like, you know, my girlfriend ships it to me, which is always fun. Um, but, uh, yeah. I make it myself, definitely. Um, normally, like when I'm on camp at being AeroPress, some of the guys have bought like one of the big like machines, you know. And oh, really? Doing like espresso stuff. Yeah, it's just like kind of a, it's a culture thing. It's like a lifeblood of what we do. And so um, uh, it's kind of important for them um, in that regard, I guess. Like it's just like a sort of bonding thing. And it's an event during the day, particularly when we're on training camps, like something we all sort of come together and do, which is always great. Um, 
I'd say that uh, I'd say that like basically uh, it's something that do I hit it first thing in the morning? Probably not normally. Yeah, when I'm in when I'm at home, no, not normally. I wait, I'll probably wait till after the first session. I kind of I don't know. I like I don't know if this is necessarily true or not, but I kind of read somewhere that it can like inhibit your serotonin production because instead of your body like making a wake up hormone, you just have caffeine to do it. I don't really know if that's true. I've only ever read that in one place. So it's sort of like a, yeah, no, I was uh, I was talking to I don't know if you're familiar with uh, Dr. Kelly Starrett. Yeah, he, okay. he's like I'm you know be, uh, becoming becoming a supple leopard. He's like he basically oh, like no, I know the book. I know the book. I yeah, yeah, book. okay. So you know the book. So yeah. uh, he's a good friend. I worked with him in California a couple of years ago, and um, we were at a conference. I don't know twenty just before the pandemic, and he said we got to get people out of this sort of um, drugged state of using wine to calm the body down and then coffee to get it back up. We're basically just on this cycle of we can't naturally produce the hormones we need to slow down and then wake back up. So, um, I I think there's absolutely something to it. Um, I, I try and do the same, you know, you got to get it going and, and, you know, kind of hit it when you need it, especially with the volume you're doing. Probably if you hit coffee, right in the beginning, you're just going to potentially be on a vicious cycle. Well, it's also like um, coffee, like, like then you just like have coffee in the morning and then it's like do your first session and then you got to have another one and then you got to have another one. And it's like, um, if I have three sessions in a day, I'm probably having three coffees ultimately. It's like, or two to two to three. Yeah. Um, and then it's like, try to limit it to two when you're in training camp, it's always a bit more because it's kind of like kind of before every session to some extent you're like making it. Um, but I guess it, kind of like cycling, it's kind of this, I, there's a little bit of like a culture of it within rowing. It's like, oh, we go to all these cool places and then to race and stuff. But it's like, oh, what do we do in the day between races? Like, let's go get coffee or like, let's make coffee or what are you up to? Should we have coffee? Um, and so people get quite into it and I do quite enjoy it. I like, kind of enjoy the process of it. Um, but then maybe there's like an element of mindfulness in making a coffee as well, where you're just sort of like, okay, I'm just going to focus in on this. This is what I'm doing right now. There's nothing else going on. Um, but it is something that, yeah, uh probably underpins my life a little bit i'm like a big like do enjoy like a really good flat white or or just a straight black coffee as well so um it's something that i do enjoy and i guess like maybe i have too much caffeine if i look at it yeah but then like every now and again i'll try and detox off it as well i'll do like i went through a stage where i just like wouldn't have any on a sunday um and then after lucerne just didn't have any for like a week and everyone's like you're gonna feel terrible i felt okay actually i actually felt pretty good so um that was quite nice, but that also just kind of became like, an, I guess, just like an athlete kind of way. I was like, oh, I can keep going on this. Everyone's like, nah, surely you want to have a coffee? It's like, nah, easy, easy. I don't need coffee, fine. Um, <laughs> but actually, like, uh, then you have it again, and you're like, damn, this is like good. And it's like a cool, like fun event to sort of enjoy with, with your teammates during the day. Yeah, no, it's, I never really thought of it as that sort of social aspect yeah. um, in a training group because you, it's not like you're going to go out and, you know, especially like with pick COVID up rugby. Bubble. yeah yeah like covid bubbles it's like you know we're in these hotels you can ship stuff in but you can't leave the hotels unless you're going to train right so then we're here and, and it's just really nice to be able to like go to someone's obviously once when with the first five days you can't do this because you've got to like test test twice negative but once you've done that we're a bubble and we can just like go and join each other in each other's rooms and it's like oh i'll make coffee today or like who's doing it today like you know what blend do you have what kind of it just becomes this whole like atmosphere that people buy into and probably more that so than we should and it probably sounds quite sad but it's quite fun it's like yeah i think it sounds great break up life with, between like training sessions nah you know you're you're working so hard together it's, it's yeah. you said you got to do things you enjoy to one keep morale up and it keeps, well, exactly. keeps the group bonding together yeah um are you are you at all stressed about the protocol for tokyo and oh, and, yeah. and how how are you guys kind of handling it? obviously you're kind of going training camp and kind of making your way over yeah. um but you know like once you get there um are you at all apprehensive about the the guidelines and or is it just be more of the same for you yeah it's gonna be a lot of more of the same uh, which I think is pretty good. I think that we've done a pretty good job as a team and like our team doctors done a pretty good job of being like, yeah, we're doing COVID tests this often. It's just make familiarity with the situation. Um, I guess it's one of those things that like, it's not going to be a normal Olympics and we're like very aware of that. And we've, be, well, and we've been very made very aware of that by like the press and, and the public. But to some extent, you've got to just like block out that noise a little bit ultimately because 
you can listen to it and let it affect you or you can just sort of be like okay maybe it'll be like a bit terrible when you're just having to like sit in your room or in your like block or whatever um i think we can walk around the village as like once we're in and have been tested negative twice i think it's like you can in the evening i think i don't think it's like you can always be walking around but i think it's like you're allowed to go for a walk to just like stretch your legs and like let your mind sort of be free of the four walls within which you're going to be like living beyond like your training um look i think it's something that every athlete is going to have to deal with and and as a team we've dealt with it pretty well in the last like 18 months so like let's just keep doing what we're doing and hopefully that will lead to like great success um but yeah it is going to be strange definitely having to like do all the testing all the time and i'm assuming that rowing still very early on in in the games correct yeah yeah with like in that first week yeah very first week yeah um so that's exciting is is the uh i guess you know it, it's a shame that maybe the olympic experience won't be quite the same yeah um is the team planning on hanging around after or uh, so you, will you have to be out of the country 48 hours after your event ends wow okay there so, we go. no it's the answer to that but like <laughs> i guess in a weird way it's better that it's that way and everyone comes home and like the uk is opening up and we're all double vaxxed and as a result then we can like do something together in the uk as a, as a group and as a team right. or like I think that the team GB are planning to do something as well beyond just like individual teams to like create like a sort of atmosphere of it. But yeah, it's a bit of a shame, like especially when you hear the stories of like what it means to like go to the Olympics and like how much fun it is afterwards. And so you sort of you get your two weeks being, I guess like all Olympic sports, right? These sports, okay, with the exception like basketball, football, tennis, soccer, that is, where um, the Olympics is the pinnacle for most sports. And so you get treated like royalty for two weeks, which you just, never happens in your in your career and so i think like it's something that people always talk about and they're like you're fond of you get these amazing memories and and we're going to be denied that on this occasion however like 12 months ago the olympics probably wasn't even happening so you kind of have to take the rough with the smooth and be happy with it and just like i'm happy to keep training hard to like go into that and hopefully succeed and do well that's like the ultimate aim and and if it comes off well then that would be epic it, do you see this as just the beginning of your career? If you, as long as you stay healthy, are we are we um, going for another? Well, three at this point, not even. Yeah, three at this point. Um, yeah, I think probably carry on. That's sort of like, I guess I've never really sort of vocalized that necessarily, but um, it's one of those things that I kind of want to get through this Olympics first and then make a decision ultimately. Yeah. Because everyone always says that when you cross that finish line, you know. And like either you're like fully at peace and you're just like, wow, I did what I wanted to do. And now it's time to go in a different direction. Or you're like, let's do it again. Here we go. So I want to wait and see. Um, trying to go study again next year for a year. So that would be a cool way to like break it up a bit maybe. And I can hopefully keep rowing at a high level whilst doing that, which means that like all the doors are open and it's an opportunity. So, but I think it's important that like this last 18 24 months have been phenomenally intense and like uh the bubble aspect is i like added to that obviously but on top of that just like wanting to train harder every day and like i think when we were at home when i was training at home it was just like every day it was like it kind of became like an obsession almost of like am i doing this better than like my opposite man in the german eight or the australian eight or the usa or whatever and so um it's just been an intense like amount of pressure putting on ourselves that we've put on ourselves and i think a lot of people feel that and so like I want to step off the carousel for a little bit before I sort of make any concrete decisions, I think. But um, like, I love what I do and like it, I'm pretty happy with just like life, the state of life at the moment. So like, that's pretty cool. And I like, I'm not saying that like a lot of people can't say that, but that I do talk to a lot of people, a lot of Princeton mates who are like, who sort of went down the sort of finance route or the, the you know, corporate route. And they all sort of seem to chime in with the same thing of like, don't rush to like move into that. And so for me, like I'm pretty like happy to see where the future goes. And also like I just broke 540, but that's just like on, on the rowing machine. Like I want to be able to achieve thing, amazing things on the water as well. And like there's opportunities to do that going forward. And I don't really want to, do, I don't want to like limit myself and be like, oh, this is what I did and it was really good, but could I have done more? And I guess that's just like this sort of never ending cycle, isn't it? You can always try and do more. And so. But you're not, you're not even really in your prime yet. Well, just, that's what people keep just, saying. You're just, you're just getting, you're like, you're maybe entering the beginning. Like there's so yeah, much well, more. 
So we'll see. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's um, having been on the other side, like on the coaching with, with Sarah and then just yeah. London and Rio. Yeah. You, you know, it feels like you want to walk away and they're like, nah, I just can't. Like, yeah. and there is, there's that the intentionality of like knowing exactly what you're working towards yeah. is something very rare in life. It's never that, I would say it's never that clear again um, yeah. because things just start getting added in. Right. Yeah. So, and, and like something I find quite sort of, almost poetic about it in a weird way. I'm reading this book at the moment called The Art of Cycling. It's basically like Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance, but with cycling as the like um, sort of medium for it. And one of the things he says, he was a, the guy who wrote it was in the peloton in, in Europe in the professional uh, cycling. And he was just like, yeah, I met up with a friend like 20 years later or 10 years later or whatever. And he was like, isn't it weird that we committed so much time to something that now we're just kind of bad at because we haven't done it any anymore. <laughs> and it is kind of weird to like look at it like that. And you're like, okay, I'm on this like journey and I'm going to keep improving. But every time I try and keep improving, it gets harder to improve. And so then you kind of want to improve more and you want to like work harder to get to that next level of improvement. And then you get there and you're like, okay, like rowing like my catch is now smooth. And then you're like, oh, but my slips too much. Damn. Like by making my catch faster, you know, whatever. And so then you kind of go for that next thing. And so it's a weird one where you're, you're sort of on this journey and sometimes it's like nice to step back and have a look at it. But like you said, with Sarah, it's like you step back and then you're like, nah, actually I, I could do it again. I'm going to go again. So we'll see what happens. I'm very excited for you, Tom. We're excited yeah. for you. Tokyo is going to be a barn burner if, if, the, if uh, Euros and the World Cups are, yeah. are any yeah, sort of exactly. precursor. <laughs> yeah, I, well, I hope so. But obviously like it's an interesting one because it's like, I'm kind of firmly of the belief you're only as good as your last race and you always have to keep improving, but you also know that everyone else is trying to improve as well. And so keep grinding away and doing it, which is going to be cool. We're definitely going to be watching and, and we're excited to see you rip down the course in Tokyo. So thank you very much for joining us, Tom. Thanks so much, Mike. I really appreciate it. It's been awesome. Thanks to Tom for coming on the Whoop podcast. We are wishing him luck at this year's Olympics. A reminder, you can get 15% off a Whoop membership if you use the code Will Ahmed, W-I-L-L-A-H-M-E-D. That is at whoop.com. Check us out on social at Whoop at Will Ahmed. Stay healthy, folks. Stay in the green.